Welcome. Thanks for joining. I just wanted to take a moment to encourage anyone who hasn't listened to the very brief intro to the podcast to pause and do so now. It's technically the first episode and provides some helpful context about the nature of this project. So for any new listeners, I think this primer is pretty invaluable, especially considering how this podcast differs from most. I feel as though I'd be selling myself and my audience short if I didn't also comment on the decisions I've made about the way this project will exist in the world. For the moment, Imposters Anonymous begins and ends here. I've elected not to extend this project to any social media platforms as they continue to present uniquely severe and confounding barriers to communicating effectively and objectively. The jury is more than out on the dangers of the double-edged sword that is social media, and though I could spend hours on this topic, and maybe will at some point, I'll save everyone the headache and simply say that I've concluded that it's best for me to keep my distance altogether, if only in an attempt to prioritize my mental health. That being said, social media remains the most effective way to promote a podcast, or virtually anything for that matter. Considering that I would like this podcast to grow and reach as broad an audience as possible, the decision to abstain may prove to be foolish. But even so, it's the path I've decided to take, which is why I think it's important for me to take this time to suggest that if you derive any meaningful utility from this project and its aims, that you consider sharing this podcast with people in your life you feel might share a similar experience. I hope Imposters Anonymous can become more than just a drop in the ocean of content everyone is always being told they have to consume, but a means to start candid and impactful conversations about how we think about ourselves and the strange world we find ourselves in. Where this podcast goes will rely entirely on listeners being compelled enough by this line of reasoning to take the uncommon initiative to subscribe, review, and make an earnest attempt to introduce Imposters Anonymous to their relevant circles. To be honest, that's kind of exciting, and also a bit terrifying. But for better or worse, here we are. And thanks for giving this a shot. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. I'd like to just start by thanking you for even coming on. I know this year has been a strange one, and I feel like just making anything happen this year has been a little weird. Uh, So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Now I can at least say that I accomplished something this year. Yeah, I mean... I think in retrospect, it'll be a year that we'll always have a bit of an asterisk next to, you know, that it's, it's always going to be a year that you'll have an excuse for not doing X, Y, Z, but. I'll probably stretch that out and just apply it to the next couple of years. If those don't go well either, I'll just be like, ah, still recovering from 2020. (laughs) You get it. (laughs) It was in the range in the, in the twenties, you know, like we think about the great depression and we're like, oh, the. The twenty was that the twenties? 
So, yeah, I mean, it definitely, so the thing about that is, is it's like after the great or the Spanish influenza of 1918, we had the roaring 20s. So everyone's like, ah, shit's going to get better after this. And then I'm like, guess what was right around the corner? The Dust Bowl, uh, both world wars. So TBD, what's to come, honestly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, fingers crossed on that one. I think pretty much every company that has any form of customer service has exhausted the 2020 COVID-19 excuse to the absolute max. Uh, but as individuals, we'll also kind of have that sense of leeway to say, okay, no one's going to hold your feet to the fire on what you did or did not accomplish in this year. But we're here. I mean, good for you for actually doing something with this year. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what this amounts to. But to my point, I appreciate you coming on. There's a million reasons to say no. And you said yes. Well, it is, like I said, it's good to be here. And, you know, it's good to try to open ourselves up to new experiences, even if we're a little nervous to try something new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think in this year, honestly, maybe more so than ever, at least in our lifetimes, it, it is important, I think, for people to just be exposed to more conversation, to more perspectives because of the effects of, of social distancing and not having as many close, intimate conversations with others about all the crazy shit that everyone's been dealing with this year. I feel like there's been a limitation on what people have had the opportunity to discuss and, and just the diversity of opinion that they've been exposed to because a lot of times people have just been around the same people talking about the same things being disconnected from those they otherwise might have the opportunity to reach out to yeah i mean that's absolutely true it will honestly be a miracle if i can string together a single sentence in this podcast considering <laughs> i am not in as much practice of talking to people especially you know going deep like you mentioned or or trying to sound smart honestly this year like i feel like i've just been shoveling snacks into my face and doing half-assed zoom meetings <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's definitely a muscle that has to be flexed from, from time to time and i think it it makes me think about how in theory as a species we're kind of meant to be this super generative and creative these generative and creative beings where at a time, every individual was expected on a daily basis to be making things, to be doing things, you know, with their hands and having to solve problems on the fly. And now in the, I guess we'll just say consumerist world that we live in, it's just kind of our default to more so just consume things and pair things back. I and... <laughs> to order things off of Amazon, Brandon. <laughs> well, I mean, sure. Amazon is, is incredibly, incredibly important and uh, a wonderful tool that we do have. But at the same time, it's, it's not quite the same as just sitting down to do anything in which you're able to just work from your own ideas to freely just try things and experiment and get things wrong and work through things. And it's not so much a part of our daily lives. I mean, maybe if you are in a creative field, if you will, or if you're even, let's just say, in a, in a trade where you're a plumber or electrician or something, you are having to day to day just always solve strange problems and, and, and think in a, in a different way and be challenged. But for me personally, I feel like it's been hard this year to 
let's just say, get into a creative state or to feel like making or doing things that that normally I, I might have a little bit more motivation. But this year, I mean, and obviously here we are. Yeah. I'm trying, but <laughs> but you know, it's all that to say, it's definitely always been that ex- that low hanging f- fruit of an excuse. It's always been there that you kind of just want to write this year off and say, ah, let's just move forward into the next. And I know I'll have an excuse to have not started this podcast or not mm-hmm. worked on this project or not sat down to write or try something new or whatever. But as a very long thank you, <laughs> that is where I'm coming from just for being here to do it, making the mental effort creating the time and space to to show up, be a little vulnerable, share a bit of yourself. So, well, you're welcome. Gratitude accepted. <laughs> Great. So, one thing I actually touched on a little bit in the first podcast and something I'm always kind of thinking about is ways in which individuals consider themselves lucky from an, an awareness perspective that just thinking about how each individual, how they really think about themselves and the ways in which their lives are uniquely privileged or lucky or just different in a way that had little to do with them that has benefited them. And I'm curious how you think about that. Wow. I'm so incredibly privileged. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that and keep that gratitude in mind. Like every time I take a shower and the water is so ridiculously hot... I am just incredibly grateful. Like that's something I really like to keep in mind um, that I really haven't had to take cold showers in my life, which I think is one of the worst things you can do. And I don't understand why people do it on purpose sometimes, even if there's some health benefits that come along with it. Um, I'm also incredibly grateful that I am in a relationship with a partner who I think is really ideal for me. Um, So that makes coming home really comfortable for me. And I'm just eternally happy about that. I also grew up with a great mom who loves me almost too much at times. Um, So of course, I'm very blessed in that regard. Um, I also grew up with so many pets. I grew up as an only child. So having animal friends Mm -hmm. was wonderful. And I had just so many different kinds of pets um, that really fill my heart and have led to today. I have three pets I love a lot and they let me snuggle them and kiss <laughs> them and That's smoosh wonderful. their faces. Uh, so that is something that I just every day is one of the things I know that I, I really have going well for me. Uh, and let's see, uh, something I like to keep in mind too, is that I have access to all five of my senses. That is a ridiculous awesome. fucking privilege. <laughs> um, sight is one that I love. I love that I am sighted. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. I don't have any major, major health concerns at this point, uh, which is a pretty f- big fucking deal, especially this year. Definitely. So good to keep in mind, you know, even though I might have some normal aches and pains or whatever it is, you oh, know, yeah. nothing compared to a serious health concern. Uh, so I'm really grateful for an overall functioning body. Yeah, oh, that's a that's a pretty pretty strong list. Uh, I think it's, it's a helpful exercise in and of itself, but I think a lot of the things that you just touched upon are, are things that resonate with me as well. I have similar things in, in my life as well. And 
I think one thing that often occupies a lot of my mental space is just thinking about the disparities in good and bad luck in the world and how huge of a gap and a spectrum that can be and how to no fault of their own so many people out there are just just start in such a different place with a with a different set of resources it just reminds me off the top of my head of that i forget the name of it it's kind of an exercise that is used in different spaces i've maybe seen it in a movie or something where basically you you line up and it's a series of questions and basically you say something like step to the line or raise your hand if mm-hmm. a privilege walk yeah uh mm-hmm. that sounds right um <laughs> that it can be uh, a helpful reminder just to think about the things that that you had that others you just kind of assumed were normal mm-hmm. or assumed were at least just kind of a basic standard kind of thing to have or the you know one that resonated with me was like whether there was more than five books in your house growing up you know something that i never really even thought about and granted i didn't even necessarily come from like a super strong reading family but both my parents went to college which Mm -hmm. is an incredibly huge advantage that i never really recognized as a kid and my dad was a first generation college student. He was the only person in his family to do so, which was a pretty big accomplishment. Um, my mom, not as much, but not that her accomplishment was it was the big herself. And she was in a huge family where I think she was maybe part of the two of eight that that went to college. Wow. And her father went to MIT, was a chemical engineer, so that is yeah, pretty pretty great <laughs> but you know it's one of those things that in the environment that i grew up in it seems pretty normal for people's parents to be college educated it seemed pretty normal to read books it seemed pretty normal to have a lot of things and it's just one of those aspects of life that you don't even really consider when you have it what it would be like to grow up in a house where reading wasn't an option and granted half the time I didn't want to do it I wasn't interested <laughs> I was more interested in sports and video games and all that stuff sure. but having that as an option that at least was to some degree encouraged be such an interesting aspect of of life and a way in which I was just super lucky as a kid to to have that sort of environment and to have siblings who also had similar interests and who did well academically and set a good example for me in that sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible the amount of things that we just take for granted, especially when we're children. And of course we don't have the perspective or the awareness to be grateful or to practice gratitude or to acknowledge your privilege. You just take it all for granted. It's just mm. your, your growing up environment. That's just your experience. And then you get, a little bit of distance from that and you start to see and hear and listen more about those around you. And hopefully that encourages you to really take a step back and say, thanks mom and dad, or, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, really recognize what you do have going for you that others might not have had access to. Right. Yeah. And I think it's something that, and not to necessarily be critical of it, but I think privilege is something that we have grown accustomed to talking about in a bit of a different sense. And 
I think an exercise like that, to some extent, roots what privilege really looks like a little bit more so in the more directly tangible things. The how many parents yeah. were, were in your household growing up and how incredibly impactful that is. Mm-hmm. And were they college educated? Was that the expectation, you know, growing up? That was always the expectation for me. It was never really a thought that I wouldn't. And it's not that my parents put a ton of pressure on me to to do so, but just having that as a as a base expectation that you're working from or you know did you did you ever actually have real concerns about going hungry mm-hmm. basic things like that that regardless of what immutable qualities you have those sorts of things are are basic privileges to have and to not have them just put you in a very different place to start so it totally reshuffles what you're priorities might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even some of just being aware of even how things are different for individuals across various groups in America, but thinking globally, the fact that I believe and probably don't quote me on this, but that essentially half of the world lives on less than $5 and 50 cents a day. For here, it just it, being an American, that seems unfathomable. But And yet there's tons of Americans, even in our neighborhoods, who are food insecure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't really recall the number off the top of my head, but it's, it's something like one in four, right? As far as kids in the U.S.? To be honest, I'm not sure. But I, I know that whatever statistic it is, is rather staggering, mm-hmm. especially coming from that perspective of just not relating to or having that awareness and it's just something that we don't talk about as as much as we should in the united states Mm -hmm. you know growing up your parents always say eat all your dinner there's starving people in africa well number one that's not very pro africa is it because there's obviously tons of people flourishing in africa and there's tons of people here in the united states who are food insecure you might as well say there's there's people who go to your school there's kids down the street from you who are food insecure so be grateful for the food that you have right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's an interesting example because we often, we often turn to Africa as this, this totally distant land that, sure, there is a great deal of poverty and suffering and civil war and all of that. And to be fair, to my understanding, it is, certainly more extreme than it is here, but because of the inequality that exists in this country, from at, at least from a wealth perspective, we kind of forget how poor some people actually are here. And just because it's not necessarily your neighborhood or where you're from or the school you grew up in or whatever, we, we lose touch with the fact that there's so many people here living in, in deep, deep poverty, especially in the Gulf Coast region, uh, here in the U.S. and sure, it, it might not compare to literally dying of starvation on mass like there is in other countries in third world countries. People don't quite suffer in the way here in the way that they do in other countries. But still, I feel like we sometimes feel like we're that that doesn't really happen here just because 
things can be so separated based on wealth in this country and based on where you live that it's very easy to be in a bubble and not really consider how different someone else's perspective could be who as we kind of touched on before has just a completely different set of priorities based on what is immediately accessible to them in their life right and i I just also feel like it's something we have to be cautious when we're speaking about because we don't want to re reaffirm the idea that that people from other countries are necessarily you know worse off than we are I, i think that can play a little bit into institutionalized racism, honestly, when we grow up telling our children that sure. everyone in Africa is starving, you know? Mm. And it, it's definitely true. We should check our privilege and be aware of what's going on at home. We should be more aware of what's going on in other places of the world. But these insane generalizations aren't helpful to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's often easier just to paint with broad strokes. You know, when we want to talk about anything, it's, it's easy to say, especially things that we don't understand well and that are seem very removed from our day-to-day lives. It's, it's much easy to, easier to compartmentalize other groups or people from different countries and assume that we, we understand at least well enough to speak about the way that, that other people live and the ways in which we are different, which to some extent is real, but to a very significant extent is just a a series of assumptions that Mm -hmm. don't really say anything about the individuals that live in these countries. And sure, on average, people are a lot poorer in most places on earth than Mm -hmm. they are here in America. That is true, Mm -hmm. but we know nothing about the individual stories of each person there and what it's like to be them and the sorts of things that we sometimes project onto others when we speak too broadly about other groups. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, especially when speaking to children because they just absorb everything like a sponge. It's just true. And and it's hard for them to not see that generalization as a generalization, Mm -hmm. but take it as like a, a truth that applies broadly perhaps. Right. I mean, it's interesting enough that we even call ourselves Americans. Like we should really say that we're people from the United States because obviously people from Canada are from the Americas. People from South and Central America Mm. are Americans, but they don't call themselves that. (laughs) Right. So it's just interesting the sort of quote unquote American mentality of like, we are all of America and Mm. we kind of have this all, all the shit figured out. (laughs) But if 2020 has proved anything... (laughs) It's that yeah. perhaps this is just a bullshit facade and a narrative that we just, you know, sort of tell our people. Yeah, I mean, we certainly, we certainly have a lot to figure out and a lot that has been exposed in this year that was already broken and that the incentive structures were just totally out of whack. And I think by nature, when something of the scope and devastation that has been just so prevalent this year it's it's hard not to look at every single structure that we have and be like what what the fuck is actually working properly <laughs> what isn't and, a dumpster fire <laughs> it's a short list i mean thus far from an, an institutional perspective it's it's hard to find 
highlights. I'll say that it's, it's definitely hard to look at our institutions, especially in this country, and feel generally positive about any of them. And that's really unfortunate, you know, because that is for so long what has been kind of the fabric of our society is some degree of trust in our institutions, whether that be our government or higher education or a scientific community broadly, you know, all of these things, public health organizations, all of it, where it's, it's been so hard to feel positive about the way that all of these broad institutions have carried themselves and responded to situations this year and beyond. But at least for the sake of comparison, it's, I don't know who necessarily, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, and I, I don't want to speak to it without really having a great idea. It seems like maybe countries like Singapore seem to have handled things a little bit better, have a better grasp on things, but they certainly have their problems as well. I mean, money really will help a lot of things. It doesn't solve all problems. It makes a lot of problems, but I think in the case of Singapore, yeah, they have deep pockets to help wealthy, deal with some of their shit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. It certainly can, can make things a lot easier, <laughs> but yeah, one thing I did want to jump to mm-hmm especially just kind of based on this conversation, how it's been going so far and the give and take that we've had and the personality that I know you to have from past conversations. I'm curious whether you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert. It's complicated. I like to say I am an introverted extrovert. So I think some people can be extroverted extrovert, the ones who are just like on all the time and get a lot of energy from others. I think some people are introverted introverts, and those are the ones we might call hermits. Or, you know, extroverted introverts also exist where they're mostly introverted, but they can turn it on for like a party or two a Mm. weekend a month or something and enjoy it. But I would say I am an introverted extrovert, meaning I am overall an extroverted person. And when I took a the Myers-Briggs back in 2013, uh, I scored 15% extroverted. Now, I do think that's probably decreased since then, Mm -hmm. as I have worked in mostly customer service based fields. And that has caused me to really not like people as much as I used to, which is unfortunate because I went into customer service based fields because I genuinely liked people and wanted to help them. Uh, But then you sort of see like the shittiest side of humanity working in food and events. Um. So that I think has made me a little bit more cautious and isolated and has taught Mm -hmm. me to appreciate more the time spent just with my partner or the people I'm closest to. So I still really enjoy hanging out with my squad, like my little group of people. Mm -hmm. I'm even okay with small, not this year, but in general, small gatherings of my closest people bring me a ton of joy. But the idea of like going to declurb or, <laughs> or ha- like even going to a, a friend of a friend's house party or something really intimidates me at this point. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, and it's not just 2020, you know, it's not just now I'm like, I shouldn't be in groups of people and I don't want to touch a hand towel. Everyone else has touched. It's, it's something that's been building over the past couple of years where I have, you know, sort of toned down 
the fact that I, I don't love interacting with other people. And, and I, I will admit that is probably exacerbated by the fact that my social anxiety has increased hmm. again from abusive customer service situations, but also it. just honestly, imposter syndrome feeling like, uh, how do I fit into the conversation? How can I be funny? How can I not be too funny? How do I talk enough so that I'm a part of the conversation, but not so much that I'm dominating the conversation or steamrolling others? Mm -hmm. How do I be vulnerable? So people want to connect with me and they feel close with me and they feel like I'm being real and genuine, but not be too vulnerable and intimidate people by being an oversharer. And it's like all of these thoughts are ping-ponging around my head in social situations such that I feel distracted and, and not totally my comfortable true self. Mm -hmm. So that has, has definitely held me back a little bit from being totally extroverted person. Right. But I guess long answer short, <laughs> I am an introverted extrovert. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I asked largely because as I've gotten to know you a little bit better over time, I think the, I guess the, the dynamics of your personality, like with anyone have grown to seem more complex over time for me and first meeting you and knowing that you came from kind of a, a theater performing, performing arts background and you being a super easy person to talk to someone that I got along with really well. And then as I got to know you learning a little bit more about the other side of you, if you will, that in theory, you're not always amped about <laughs> social situations and, and that you do experience a certain degree of, of social anxiety and that you didn't necessarily consider yourself an extrovert. That just was in a way at first a huge surprise to me just because of the way that you bring yourself what you bring to the world in, in social situations, you're, you're a pretty vibrant person, you know, and well, thank you. you, you, and you also have a, a genuine capacity to perform and in front of others, which for me is kind of a, a huge fear for me, <laughs> at least growing up was, was ever getting up in front of others in any sort of capacity. And, I got over it a little bit over time. I, I took a public speaking class, that sort of thing, where I got to a certain a certain degree of competence. But this idea that someone who on the inside was kind of on the introverted side of things could thrive in an environment like that was, was super interesting to me. So here's the thing about performance art. I don't have to be myself. I am being a character who is more brave in front of others. Mm -hmm. who doesn't fear taking up space, who doesn't worry about the way that she looks or if there's salad in her teeth. She can right. just, you know, fearlessly and shamelessly be someone else. And it's fucking comfortable. It's relieving to step onto a stage and just sell that I am someone else. And I don't have the same consciousness and burdens and problems and storied past. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you know, fears or anxiety that the character of myself has. <laughs> right. So I yeah, mean, that's interesting. it just, I definitely see why that there could be a disconnect there, but like, I, I can definitely turn it on when it needs to be. I mean, I think we're all just sort of chameleoning our way through the world. So if I'm at a party or something, I can still turn it on. 
but I don't think that's truly, it's not not being genuine and it's not not being myself, but it's certainly highlighting certain facets of myself and shoving other parts of myself aside Mm -hmm. to sort of pull it out and make it happen for that circumstance. And then I'll go home after that and dissect it and be critical and concerned and read into everyone's, you know, perceived, my perceived reality of their facial expressions or their responses to me. Mm. Or was I funny when I said that? Did I say too much? Did I possibly come off, you know, sort of off colored with this one comment? Was it too edgy for the circumstance? Um, And then just sort of, you know, freak out on my couch privately. (laughs) But in, but in the circumstance or or in that scenario, it, it wouldn't show. I wouldn't have let that that panic creep mm-hmm. in and show in that moment. Yeah. Well, that's, that's certainly an interesting, an interesting explanation. And when you spell it out, it, it really does make sense. And since I had almost no experience in performing arts or theater or anything like that, it's something I just kind of avoided because it was kind of a fear of mine. And I was a super quiet kid growing up. I kind of kept to myself and I, in a way just, blocked off that area of life generally because I just assumed that it was a space that that couldn't be as separate as you're kind of describing it that in a way you could kind of turn it on and off and when you are attempting to take on a different identity if you will for a time that in a way I guess maybe similar similarly to being a mascot or (laughs) having an actual costume on in Mm -hmm. a way that people find that to be very freeing and allows them to be something that under normal circumstances, they don't feel as though they are. But to me, it also begs an interesting question about, I mean, is that, isn't that kind of who you are? You know, if, if you're able to turn it on and be something else. Sure. In that moment, where is the line drawn between <laughs> what is truly whatever that means in you and how you want to be and what you're capable of and what you actually consider yourself to be? Yeah, I mean, I think every human being is multifaceted and complicated. And there's the person, you know, there's several different persons, I guess, that we can be. There's different facets of our personality that we can turn on and off or highlight or not. For me, it's like I'm my truest, most authentic self when I'm comfortable in my own skin. And that is basically only when I'm at home in my comfy clothes, maybe with one or two of my closest people. Mm-hmm. Do I feel totally at home? And like, this is 100% who I identify with as being in my core. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then of course, like you said, I'm still being myself. I'm still in the same container. I'm still having the same eyes and face in a social setting, but I'm certainly doing my best to hide all of my insecurities. I certainly probably put on pants. Whereas if again, when I'm my most comfortable self, I'm in stretch pants at best. (laughs) Right. So I'm like definitely leaning more into certain aspects of my personality and almost tricking myself into being a more confident version of, of again, who, who I really am at a rest state. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Just to kind of 
jump back actually to something you just said mm -hmm. that I found worth noting is, or honestly a question that it brought up for me. Do you ever feel like you're at a hundred percent in that sense that even when you are around others, does that, do you feel like there's a disconnect between who you identify yourself as quote unquote privately and how you are around your closest people? Um, maybe in some ways, like I'm certainly not going to like pick my nose mm -hmm. in front of even my best friends. You know, I'm, I'm going to have basic table manners that again, if I was just home alone with my pets, I wouldn't have as much apprehension for, you know, doing something such as like picking one's nose or burping mm -hmm. or something. I'm going to try to curb that behavior a little bit, but it's certainly closer to the person perhaps that I portray, say when I'm at work and mm -hmm. I can't be honest at all about the fact that I'm extremely anxious, uh, you know, so like with my friends, certainly I can, I can share my feelings very openly and honestly, they're great people. They're super understanding and I feel very comfortable around them. But I certainly would never let that show or communicate that in a professional mm -hmm. setting. Right. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, honestly, there's, of course, no right or wrong answer there. And I don't really have an answer to that question myself. It just makes me think a bit about in what state are we the most ourselves and sleeping <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe so we spend a third of our lives in theory doing that and we don't really know what it's like what it really <laughs> what the true purpose or of, of sleep and our dreams and what really happens when we close our eyes and wake up eight hours later we just kind of lose that time and sure to some extent, we experience dreams and we know what that's like, but we don't really understand them. And it's clearly very important for it to <laughs> persist from an evolutionary perspective. But no one can say why. <laughs> it, in a way, the intuitive answer seems to be when we are alone or when no one else is watching. But at the same time, we're not really meant to be alone. We are these incredibly social creatures and in our more ancestral state, if you will, we were always, for the large majority of our lives, maybe even all of it at times, or in certain situations, we were around others and being our social selves. And so I feel like we have this sense in the modern world that what we are when, when no one is watching and when there's no one else around is, is more so the true us, but I don't know, you know, it, it's just kind of, yeah. it's interesting how different that can be and why, why we've decided that that is necessarily the case when in theory we live most of our lives in relation to others. Mm -hmm. I think there's just so much shame attached to that. Shame attached to being just a totally natural human being. You know, growing up as, as a woman, I'm not allowed to poop in front of other people. At least I don't feel allowed. Like we've been socialized to avoid certain behaviors in front of others, even those that we're closest with. Mm -hmm. I've been with my partner a very long time now, and I have no plans of pooping in front of them. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that that may happen when I'm very, very old and I don't have control over my poop. <laughs> mm. It's all right then. 
but definitely not on just like a, a given Tuesday. Am I going to be like, you know, today's the day that I totally feel comfortable pooping in front of you. And I know there's other couples. Certainly one of my friends is like, ah, oh, we're so in love. We poop in front of each other all the time. I'm like, good for you. But I think that's a line that I've been like very socialized that I'm not comfortable with crossing. And it's hard to know, is that just me? Genuinely just a personality trait that I am mm. not comfortable with that? Or is that something that I, there's just so much shame attached to it? Just like I, you know, despite the fact that every, not, not every single woman, but, but most people with uteruses experience periods every month. Mm. And we can't talk about it. And it's very uncomfortable. It's very painful. And you get sick days at work, but you don't get days where you get to just be like, yo, there's clumps of uterus coming out of me and I'm in a lot of pain and I'd rather just stay home because there is blood pouring down my legs. And that should just totally be acceptable. We should be able to cancel dates. We should be able to stay home from work. We shouldn't have to go take that test at school, but it's something that most people with uteruses just have to pretend isn't happening, mm -hmm. act like they're not dying inside and just do their normal lives because there's too much shame around sharing that except for with your closest girlfriends, honestly. Right. I mean, it's, that's certainly an incredibly complicated one and it, I find it very fascinating how as you mentioned earlier, even within the context of a, an incredibly intimate relationship in which in theory, you kind of share all of yourself with someone else, that there still are certain things that we do have for whatever reason, a desire to keep to ourselves. And it could be a very short list. It could be a very long list for some. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example that I think would resonate with a lot of people. I think that that aspect of our lives just seems as private as almost any, but that there are certain things that even if you trust someone fully and are comfortable with someone fully, we still, for whatever reason, because of how we think about ourselves and there just are certain things that we feel like that's just, that's just a for me thing. That's just a, that's not for anyone else. And, I don't know. I'm struggling to think of a of a similar example to to share with you as well, but I certainly can relate to that. You know, I I don't know if I'll ever feel comfortable just being like, oh yeah, I'll just take a dump in front of someone else, and it's not <laughs> it's not something I feel like I necessarily have hangups about, but it just it just feels like something you don't share, and <laughs> I don't. That's probably not the best way to think about it, but there are certain things in life that it just seems like we have more fixed barriers around and for whatever it's worth, it's not like that's necessarily a bad thing either. You know, I think people should be allowed a certain degree of, of privacy and a certain degree of being able to say, this is just what makes me comfortable. You know, there shouldn't be any shame around that either, but it's certainly interesting. Yeah. And everyone's boundaries are different or, or what feels more private to them versus someone else. But I, I think, like you said, we all have those little things that we might keep to ourselves. And maybe that's why we feel that when we're alone, we're most genuinely ourselves because we're not worried about sharing any of those salacious secrets 
mm-hmm. or accidentally spilling beans or someone figuring us out <laughs> right. the parts of us that we are, are too vulnerable at this point to share and, and maybe never will. And maybe that's for the best. And maybe some things we should get more comfortable talking mm-hmm. about. I certainly think we should be more comfortable to talk about poop and talk about periods, but not necessarily involve other people in our tampon exchanges or pooping if we're not ready for that. <laughs> it's one sure. thing to talk about it versus, you know, involve other people. But, you know, we're very selective about to whom we speak about these things, mm. if we do at all. Yeah, I mean, to, to bring it back full circle to some extent, it is, we have these, these different somewhat concentric circles of, mm-hmm. okay, I, I share this with my guy friends, or I, I share this <laughs> with my parents or my family, and I share this with my significant other, and, mm-hmm. but not this. And, and there's I, a Venn diagram thing going on where some of those circles overlap, but right. some of them stay very separate. Yeah. And as I said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't be forced to share anything. That your you mom definitely want doesn't want to hear about your sex life. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I guess you never know. Some people have weird relationships with their parents. Oh, my but... mom definitely wants to hear about my sex life, but your mom doesn't want to hear about yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can confirm that one. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a fair assumption <laughs> to make. Uh, but yeah, you never really know what it's like to be someone else or why they make their decisions or why they elect to keep certain things private, be outspoken or to share on other things. Mm-hmm. But something that I find myself thinking about quite often is just attempting to conceptualize what it would like to be someone else and, and what I may or may not, I mean, it's, it's, it almost feels like a dead end because it's so, it's so hard to even imagine what it would be like to step outside your own perspective for even a moment, because we spend our whole lives mm-hmm. only in ours. And that's <laughs> to a large degree, really unfortunate, but I'm it's curious. Prison, and yet, thank God, <laughs> honestly, thank God. I don't know if I could take on another person's consciousness. Mine is already kind of a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this 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 idea that at least for me comes up first. That's like, wow, that would be super fascinating. I would mm-hmm. pay anything to do that. But that's also a quite the dice roll, you know. It it might be you'd be traumatized, probably. <laughs> honestly, even if they were having a perfectly pleasant day when you freaky Friday into them, even just say for an hour, it would it would blow your fucking mind, right? Mm. Like you would never be the same. You would never go back to just being Brandon in Brandon's mind. Right. It would totally probably change your consciousness and the way that you interact with yourself. Yeah, I mean it would it would fundamentally change who I am for whatever well, that's worth. I mean it totally would. Just stepping out that would in theory just become a part of who I am. That part of them would become a part of me considering how our there's probably some pros and cons to that but i just feel like like you said it's it's way too big of a dice roll mm. to take that leap <laughs> that would be that wild. being said though disney is going to figure out a way to do that for sure oh that would yeah. be like a ride where you just plug your brain into someone else <laughs> yeah i mean certainly a matter of time before they figure that one out but i'm curious is there let's just say if any random person in our audience were to spend a day in your shoes or in your head, 
what do you think they would be most surprised by based on what most people generally understand or perceive about you? I think they come off a little bit more chill, maybe a little bit more simple than I really am. I try to find the humor in everything. So you'll catch me a lot giggling um, and acting like I'm totally okay. Because again, like I said, I'm pretty good at fronting that everything's totally cool, except for maybe with like my inner circle of people Mm -hmm. who have a better sense about what's going on. But like you said, just a, a random listener, perhaps, I think would be a little overwhelmed to be in my head. Mm. It's like 10 squirrels on Coke playing ping pong is what it feels like a lot of the time, (laughs) at least 10. Um, And it's just like, I'm constantly having these Ferris wheel thoughts that are like looping of different things like fire safety, dying painfully or worse, living painfully, being kidnapped, being murdered or, or worse, someone stealing one of my cats <laughs> my greatest fear wow, that's devastating um, it's it's just extremely overwhelming and and i i do think that something that will be on my to-do list for perhaps when i have better insurance which sucks that that is a condition to perhaps pursuing something that could be helpful for mm-hmm. me i wonder if i have undiagnosed adhd or add which is often so often misdiagnosed in women because we present very differently than men and science historically has kind of set a giant fuck you both to mental illness and to women and not necessarily really cared about women or mental illness enough to get us all the resources that we need. Like I'm only just now finding through listening to my other friends that this might be what's going on with me. Why I've been misdiagnosed perhaps as being OCD or, you know, depression and anxiety when really the, the umbrella might be ADD, which is the fact that I have trouble keeping one thought in my head because I'm just constantly, like I said, sort of ping-ponging from thought to thought, which really affects like my motivation. And then when I'm unmotivated, I'm not getting enough done, I'm depressed. And all the thoughts that are ping-ponging are very paranoid, anxious concerns. So then we get the anxiety And then I'm obsessively thinking about different things like fire safety or my cats being kidnapped. And then we get the OCD. So it's like, where is it all coming from? And is this why in the past SSRIs and anti-anxiety medication have not really helped me? Mm. Have I taken something, put chemicals in my body that weren't addressing the proper imbalances for me? Um, And I'm currently not medicated and it's going fairly well. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Like as, as far as the range of things that I've experienced, anxiety, depression, OCD, germophobic wise, surprisingly in 2020, I, I have noticed an increase in the germophobia and an increase in the anxiety, but I'm still high functioning. So I need to give myself a pat on the back for that because it's really not easy this year to always keep that in check. Mm. But I think, I think when I'm ready and the stars align, something that's so important for me to invest in would be learning more about my mental health through cognitive behavioral therapy and perhaps talking to a psychiatrist or someone who would have a better understanding of of if this has just been sort of misdiagnosed or parts of it have been misdiagnosed, but we've kind of missed hitting the nail on the head as far as, as do I have ADD? So I really want to encourage myself and anyone else Mm -hmm. to just, you know, not give up. It's been a really hard journey 
to try different SSRIs and it's been really discouraging that they haven't worked. And it's been difficult to try meditating or try walking more or try sleeping better or try eating better. And that doesn't really seem to affect it. And it can be really depressing, honestly, to see people online being like, have more smoothies or spend more time in nature and it'll fix all your problems. Approach your home with a minimalist attitude and it will fix the clutter in your mind. I'm glad if that helped those people. But for me, I think it's going to take persistence and a belief that at some point I'll get to the bottom of this to truly fully understand myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I know that's certainly not easy and it, it brings up an interesting point, at least through, through my experience with, I guess my limited experience with mental health issues that it sometimes can be such a challenge because of how fine the lines can be between different diagnosis, um, diagnoses, is that? Diagnoses. <laughs> diagnoses. I mean, that <laughs> still sounds wrong, but <laughs> we'll just roll with that. Um, yeah. How, how thin those lines can be and how easy it can be to, just take the wrong approach or have a a way of thinking about something that is maybe not helpful or even destructive on the front of what the base of an issue could actually be and how much research still needs to be done on that front to better understand why people struggle in different aspects of their life and, and lives and why people suffer in, in different and unique ways and these labels can be very valuable and useful, but also can be obviously misleading and, and can put people through a lot that they don't really need to because our, our tools for measurement are, are pretty imprecise at this point. And as I just said, it, it's just going to take so much more work and, and research and diligence, which is, is a lot to ask from, from those who are struggling mm -hmm. to, to figure out exactly what the root cause of, of each individual's issues may or may not be and to, to spend the time to, to work that out is mm -hmm. hopefully where we're going and hopefully there will be better resources moving forward for people on that front. But it, it yeah. can be very discouraging and it can be so complicated that it's, it's very easy to just to throw your hands up in the air and say it doesn't seem like anything else is going to help or it doesn't seem like anyone understands and mm -hmm. sometimes that really is fair you know it's, it's not that that's <laughs> even that um it's it's by no means a, a incorrect perspective it's just mm -hmm. that we do live so much of our lives in that state of trying to understand others mm -hmm. trying to understand what they're going through trying to empathize trying to draw from our own anecdotes of life and say, Oh, like this is similar to something I experienced or this is like that. Or, but most of the time it's, it's kind of not, and everyone is really unique in, in the way that they struggle. So the best we can do is, is to try to accept people for what they are and then create space for people to feel comfortable mm -hmm. to talk about what they are experiencing and to just treat everyone as an individual as much as we can. Right. And I, and I hope, help folks find resources 
that will work for them. Not every therapist is going to be a good fit. Not every doctor is going to take more than two seconds of their time to help you. Not everyone has insurance. So we need to help people find the route to, to best find the help that they need. And I think when you're a friend to someone who's going through something, the best thing you can do is listen non-judgmentally and always just ask people, what can I do to help you? Because it might be sitting down and helping research, <clears throat> excuse me, therapists who have sliding scales so that you can afford to go to them if you are uninsured or if you have shitty insurance. Mm. It, it might be just sitting quietly with them while they cry. <laughs> it could sure. be anything, but I think it's really important that we're asking those around us how we can best support them and, and then following through with that. Mm. Yeah, that's that's certainly a very important message and much easier said than done, but something that is is certainly a helpful reminder to to anyone because I think there's at least I believe there's no one out there who isn't at least to some degree affected by some form of mental health mm -hmm. stress issue complication, whether it's their own or, or someone that they care about deeply and are, are deeply involved with in their daily lives. So it's certainly something that is worth talking about as, as much as possible and is comfortable, especially for anyone out there who feels like these sorts of conversations are, are difficult to have or are things that you ought to just keep to yourself. Mm -hmm. And since I know we've been talking a lot about what it's like to be you, what it's like to be a person in this world from your perspective, I'm curious if you could spend a lifespan as another species on this planet, so not human, what would that be? This is an easy question for me. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I would love to be an otter. I love to swim and no one is more playful than an otter. Mm. They seem really joyful. So I'd like to experience being inside of an otter, honestly. <laughs> as strange as that sounds. Um, they make the cutest little sounds. They hold hands with their friends and family so they don't drift apart from each other. They're great jugglers. And I could only dream oh, wow. of having that kind of hand-eye coordination. <laughs> they juggle like, like rocks? Oh, Yeah. They do stones. They'll juggle around some sea urchins before they snack on that shit. Wow. They're super cute. Ah, their little faces and their little toes and their tails. They're just absolutely adorable. I love otters. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems like a pretty decent life. I had no idea that they were so talented on that front. Mm -hmm. I, I certainly wonder sometimes what, I mean, an otter or any, what it's like to be anything other than a human and obviously it's like something to, to be them and it's a conscious state right sure. to, for whatever that means and it's hard to know to what extent an otter suffers or has mm -hmm. fun it, it seems it, as you said they, they seem to be playful we at least something that probably resonates with most people you see a dog or a cat a pet they seem to have a really good time when, when they're playing. They mm -hmm. seem to be pretty upset when you don't feed them or <laughs> when you don't give them attention. But it's hard to know how similar that is mm 
to the the human version of of being upset or pouting or whatever but we know that their nervous systems for everything basically down to something like a lobster something that removed from us has a very very similar nervous system to us in the way that it functions so in theory at least those base serotonin spikes and responses are to some degree similar and i think to have that to have the highs also means that the lows have to be there right so that i have to assume that an otter that has fun also as it stays, you know, when it's not really feeling things and that they can experience some degree of, of pain and loss. And, sure. um, yeah, I mean, there's no measuring stick for figuring out the suffering or problems of another being. Um, and, and you don't even know like what might be a problem for me. Someone else has the same problem and it maybe weighs much heavier on them. You just don't know how the issues affect any one individual. Mm-hmm. I know, for example, my dog feels way more feelings than most people. He is just so capable of, of feeling such a breadth of different things. And I just really wish I could talk to him <laughs> and mm-hmm. figure out better what's going on in that wrinkly head of his. But like you said, he certainly, like any dog, plays and has a blast being crazy. And then he'll be like super anxious when he hears a package getting dropped off and feels that it's mm-hmm. his job to scare away the UPS man. <laughs> and he oh, does yeah. a great job. So far, no UPS men have murdered us. So I appreciate wow. that. <laughs> well done. Mm-hmm. He's a good boy. Yeah. Dogs are an interesting one just because we, I think more than any other species up to this point, we have such a such a close and intimate and complicated relationship with them we spend so much of our lives with them and they are such social creatures at least it seems in a very similar way to us that they they need other people they thrive off of social interaction they they need attention they hate to be ostracized mm-hmm. they they seem to exist in the world in a, a relatively similar way <laughs> to us i mean maybe not so much as a, as a chimp because that is basically us but sure i'm just grateful i don't have to sniff other people's butts when i say hello to them we don't do that strangely (laughs) enough but maybe dogs are onto something maybe you can learn a lot about someone by just putting your nose straight up their buttholes i mean if you had a better sense of smell i'm sure i i don't know how much i'm going to pick up on but it seems like they're learning lots when they do it i mean they go in deep it's not just like a quick sniff it's like they're really experiencing the other creature i mean it it's all coming back around if we could get over our, our poop hang-ups you know we honestly could, we could get to know each other so much better yeah Brandon. so much quicker <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i wonder if being something like i don't know a clam would mm. be would ideal be super in some meditative ways. i mean it doesn't and i Obviously, could be one hundred percent wrong. This could but... be really insulting to any clams that are listening to your podcast. Sure, I mean, maybe it's a tough life out there for a clam. Maybe the psychological torture that they experience is beyond anything I could imagine. But it does seem as though that when you get down to that level of simplicity, I mean, still, it's obviously 
cosmically incredibly complex, but compared <laughs> to us, it seems like they're kind of just chilling. You know, it, it seems like it does not, appear that way. The water's just kind of flowing through them. They're opening and closing their, their, the highs really aren't necessarily there, right? It's not like they're, they don't go to the amusement park as far as we know. Right. They're not juggling. They're not, you know, they don't have those crowning achievements. They don't get, they don't have a graduation or they can't throw their day, hats very high, but. <laughs> They seem to be doing okay, and I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of a safe bet, you know? Maybe that's the the safe side of me saying just be a clam because it's not going to be awful, you know, mm-hmm. where you could really roll the dice with something like a whale. Sure. Because whales are so... They're pretty complicated. They're incredibly complicated, and they're so intelligent, and in theory to my knowledge, more emotionally intelligent in, the, intelligent in the ways that we can measure than humans, which would kind of mean that they could probably experience deeper connections than we can. And mm-hmm. for what we call love and passion and things like that, they would have a higher ceiling, but also a much lower floor. They're so sad sometimes. Yeah, I mean, they, they really seem to experience loss in a way that even humans don't when their young die they carry mm-hmm. them around in the ocean for long periods of time just I wonder if people would do something similar if it weren't socially inappropriate like it's already kind of weird to me that having open caskets is such a thing mm-hmm. that we literally embalm people people's bodies such right. that we can view them when they, the essence of who they are, is no longer inside of that container because mm-hmm. we just so strongly associate the outside of the container, what we recognize as our friend or our sure. loved one, as being the person. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I wonder if that was allowed, if people truly in mourning would almost want to taxidermy their loved one or their friend and, and keep them forever. You know, I mean, we put people's ashes into jars urns that we keep in our homes or we share with our friends and we attach meaning to that carbon that ash Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting and i think people should do whatever makes them feel the best in the time of loss Mm -hmm. whatever gives them some comfort uh but it's all kind of weird it's all really weird because again at least in our society death is kind of taboo even though it affects all of us Mm -hmm. it's not something that we've necessarily evolved to a great place on, you know, of course, we're always going to miss that person or that pet. But, but why isn't death more normalized when Mm -hmm. it's something that we all have in common? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems as though maybe there was a time when it was and I think as a species, it seems like we've always had a certain degree of ritual Mm -hmm. around death and attaching some sort of meaning to it that when when someone does move on that they're or then when someone does leave this plane that they're going on to something different or we might leave them with certain items that serve them well in their in their life here and it's it's certainly interesting to look at how those rituals have evolved over time that we've gotten to a point where we do something like 
you know, turning someone to ashes and keeping them forever. And, you know, that's, it's, it's a very interesting behavior and a very astute point that you brought up in relation to what some whales do, that it is quite similar in a way that we do have this desire to, to hang on to them and to, to keep them with us in a sense, even though sure in reality, as you said, what the essence of what they were in life is no longer there, but for us symbolically, it, it does carry meaning and we wouldn't immediately assume that something like a whale could think to that in that degree of the abstraction, but maybe so, you know? I think that's just humans being myopic and sort of putting ourselves at the top of the food chain mm. when we don't know, we barely understand our own fucking mental states. As I mentioned before, we don't know anything about mental illness, really. Mm. And we don't really invest in it as a society. And we don't really have great means of supporting people who are experiencing varying degrees mm. of mental concerns. Uh, so why, why for a second would we give a shit about a whales, you know? Right. Like, of course, we think it's so impressive that they have feelings, but it's like, why are we being so small-minded and surprised by that? Like, of course they have feelings. They're living. It's and and I'm sure clams might even have feelings. We just can't relate to what that would be like or what it feels like to be a clam. So it's easy for us to be like, it's simple, it's super chill, it's super meditative. Because from our perspective, frankly, it is. Mm. But the truth is, is like we probably won't ever know. Yeah, I mean it it's an interesting point and it brings up another set of assumptions that we would work from on the other side of the coin that when I sit here and assume when I talk about whales being emotionally intelligent, I assume that that to some degree is similar to the way in which humans are, that we just kind of, I forget the term, but we, we just project what we are as humans and our experience onto other creatures and we anthropomorphize them. Yeah. That, that was one that I was probably just going <laughs> to botch. So it was in my head somewhere, but yeah, I mean, we, we just assume that the way that a, a whale might experience loss or pain or love is in any way similar to what it might be for us. And it's certainly like something to be a whale or a clam or an otter, but we have virtually no idea what that's actually like. And we probably yeah. won't know for a long time. And sure, we can look, we can look at the, the basic facts of science and we can look at their physiology and <laughs> we can look at the neurology and... Can you look at the neurology of a clam? You can't like look at a brainwave of a clam. <laughs> uh, I mean... I don't think they have a brainwave. I don't think they have a brain. <laughs> I mean, they certainly have neurons. Sure, but like a jellyfish which... is just a blob, basically. What would it be like to be a jellyfish? Is that like being a plant? Apparently lettuce screams when you pull on it. So is that more than being a jellyfish? I mean, my understanding is that jellyfish are, not to be rude, but like below plants <laughs> in, the, in the hierarchy of things as far as how complex they, they fuck, are. They still fuck, though. It, it's crazy. Well, I mean, Nature's wild. Plants. Plants use the bees. It's kind of like they're having a three-way or like an orgy with multiple bees. Mm. They're just coming all over the bees. 
and the bees are like taking it all they in and then they go and they spread it around and they take it back to the hive and they dance and they make sticky stuff and then we eat that. It's delicious. Honey is great. <laughs> 10 out of 10. But yeah, when you think about it, it's a it's little strange. Flower come and bee dancing. I think there's some bee vomit involved in honey also. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Who knows? I might be spreading fake news, but... <laughs> it's totally possible, but I'm sure someone in the audience has a great understanding of honey and maybe they'll reach out sometime. We need sometime an apiarist to give us a ring. They can come on and, and explain honey and a much higher fidelity way but <laughs> anyways i know we've discussed a certain degree of of difficulty that is present for for you and for all of us to to stay as much as we can in the moment and to mm -hmm. find moments of of peace and quietness and just being able to to some extent at least observe or even silence that inner monologue and just the constant the constant thoughts the constant anxiety the mm. what could happen next the worst case scenario the thinking about the past and how it could or should have been different mm -hmm. mm. i'm curious That's a if, big one. <laughs> if there's anything that you find or maybe better yet in what activities or spaces do you find yourself least anxious in that sense is there anything that you find to be helpful for you as an individual to achieve kind of a state of flow or to get out of your own head well i guess i'll just say before i answer that that i think it's a really impactful and empowering thought that no matter how torturous it can be at times to be stuck inside your own container and to be given this one consciousness that you have to collect memories into your bucket and live with that shit for the rest of your life that it, on the flip side of how painful and awful that can be, how great it is <laughs> that you're only stuck with your own bullshit and your own pain mm -hmm. and your own anxiety and that you don't have to take on anyone else's or roll the dice of possibly being in a, a worse situation mm -hmm. than you are. And not to downplay the, the pain that you feel as an individual, but to highlight the gratitude of like, this is what you're used to. And although it's uncomfortable, it's what you're probably most comfortable with experiencing. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, a little silver lining, a little spin team on that BS <laughs> for sure. But <laughs> as far as flow goes, as I'm sure you have understood based on this conversation, um, I'm rarely out of my own head. I have a great difficulty achieving getting out of my own head. Um, and I, I'm constantly playing music or a podcast or the TV show, The Office in the background as I do things throughout the day. I'm very phobic of silence. And that's something I really want to work on as a person. But I notice that being in silence makes the squirrels in my head, their ping pong match eight times louder. Mm. And that is uncomfortable for me. And it's uncomfortable to have to face that. And it's uncomfortable to know that there's shit that I really need to address inside of my head and to not necessarily have the tools in my tool belt at the moment to go about tackling those squirrels and, and getting them to only play ping pong every once in a while mm -hmm. instead of constantly. Um, that being said, there are a few things that I do to focus me and challenge me to get out of my head. 
I would say the thing that does this, or one of the things that does this the best is swimming because I'm not able to listen to a podcast or watch The Office or play music while I swim. I don't have fancy underwater Mm. hearing thingies, headphones. Um, So that's really good. And it allows me to connect with my body, which is something I'm very uncomfortable doing Mm -hmm. in the water where I feel very light. I feel very buoyant and I don't feel like encumbered by gravity and in my own shape. Mm -hmm. So that's very freeing and very body positive for me. And it really helps me get out of my head. As we mentioned before, I think doing theater, particularly improvisational theater, has really, really helped me get out of my head because I'm being someone else. I'm being in the moment. I'm being present. And I'm practicing saying yes and to things. I'm agreeing. I'm not negating. I'm going with the flow. Um, And it allows me to laugh. And I really love to laugh. And I think everyone should be laughing at least a couple times per day. And if you're not laughing enough, watch more funny cat videos on YouTube or something to just really get yourself to laugh. Mm -hmm. And maybe even if you're feeling miserable, fake laugh and laugh at yourself for being ridiculous and see if you keep laughing because that can be quite nice to just kind of giggle at how absurd and fucked up everything is. Because what the fuck else are you going to do besides laugh? Also recently, I discovered pointillism painting where I just paint tiny little dots And it's really focusing and really tedious, which is not typically the type of activity I'm drawn to. I'm not very dexterous and I'm certainly not patient at all. Mm -hmm. But I really like pointillism dot painting because in the past when I create, I'm extremely, extremely self-critical. I'm a perfectionist and I don't even want to try to paint anything if it's not going to be photorealistic. Wow. It's a lot of pressure to put on myself. It's just fucking ridiculous. And I would never, never put that type of pressure on anyone else that I care about. Right. I would never treat someone else the way that I treat myself when it comes to creating art. Um, But that being said, dot painting is a lot more chill in that regard because you're just painting dots. Mm -hmm. And it can be just different lines of color, different shapes, different anything. Um, But it's, it's really freeing and it's really focusing. and. And I'm getting really into it. And I actually discovered dot painting while I was tripping on acid this past January or February. Oh, wow. So typically I find that you can find those parts in or this creative outlet or or things about yourself in just such a non-judgmental state of mind. When you are on psychedelics, I certainly wouldn't recommend everyone to try psychedelics if you haven't, you know, mentally prepared yourself to do such a thing or you're Mm. not in a safe environment around people that you love and trust. But all those proper factors had come together for me this day. And a friend and I took just a light little dose of acid. Mm. Maybe it was mushrooms. Hard to say. (laughs) And we just painted outside for for hours. Mm. And it was just so freeing to be able to create in a judge in a non-judgmental space. And then to learn how much I like dot painting. I yeah. never tried it before that day. And then to do that, you know, sober on, you know, an average day in the, in the future since that incident and just kind of carry that art on. So I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I sort of found that outlet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just said so many valuable things and <laughs> there's lots I'd like to address. Too much at but once. <laughs> no, it's, it's all right. I, I'm enjoying this a lot. But to your last point about, 
psychedelics and it kind of just reminds me similar is, is similar to the way that we actually started this about the value of being able to be in a space to create in a, in a non-judgmental state and just to be free to to try things and to experiment and how difficult it can be in our regular lives to step out of how we think about ourselves for a moment and just let ourselves do and let ourselves create and to just approach whatever it may be whether you know is a new form of art or a difficult conversation or an old hobby that we used to have or a game or singing or dancing or anything to to be able to approach that in a, in a true state of non-judgment and, and kind of a childlike state where we're able to leave all of our hang-ups and, and barriers aside to some extent and just just let it happen and enjoy it for what it is or, or maybe even not enjoy it for what it is but just let it be and if it gets <laughs> difficult to to be okay with mm -hmm. that and to not judge yourself for struggling with whatever that is is something that psychedelics can be so so valuable mm -hmm. for and sure you can do that in a totally sober state but it can be so challenging especially when we have these habit patterns that we formed over time to to really just be kind of shocked out of that state if you will yeah. to be able to access that that very real side of ourselves that is is absent of of judgment or mm -hmm. or meaning or anything else it just is Right. I had this really wonderful therapist that I went to for about three years who drew a little picture on her whiteboard, which really helped me visualize the different parts to my personality, but it can be applied to anyone's personality where everyone has a nurturing parent and a critical parent, an adult self and a childlike self. And okay. basically what what we're trying to work from is just sort of the adult self, you know, as adults, we're, we're, you know, trying to be neutral, but then we have sort of these conflicting parent roles where one is really critical and that's important. The, the critical parent is good to have because it's the one that's going to remind you to look left last before you pull out into traffic. And it's going to remind you to turn the oven off when you're done cooking. My biggest fear for getting to do that. <laughs> But it's also the one that's going to be a shithead to you and tell you not to even bother doing something if it's not going to be perfect. Mm. And it's going to be really mean sometimes. And it's going to tell you that you don't look good in those genes. So the goal is, is to access that nurturing parent and kind of turn it up more mm. so that it balances out that mean parent. And it says, you know, I'm going to be your best friend. I'm going to be your cheerleader. I'm going to treat you like how I would treat this adorable kitten I just adopted from the pound where I choose you every day and I choose to feed you and make sure you have enough water and that all your needs are met and that you have toys to play with. And we're going to snuggle sometimes and we're going to take naps. And, you know, great. it does sound great, but that's a part of me that I've really lost touch with is the nurturing parent. Mm -hmm. And I've also lost a good amount of touch with that childlike part. And I will say that for me, through the proper and mindful use of a reasonable dose mm -hmm. of psychedelics has come back to life. You really access that childlike wonder of like putting your face into the grass and really examining how crazy and intricate a blade of grass can be. Why are the edges rumpelty? You know, or <laughs> all these things that That's we just, the word. <laughs> again, like take for granted and, and don't stop and look at that cool ladybug. Um, or we, we don't take time 
to smoosh our hands into kinetic sand and, you know, play with paint in a, in a messy way. Um, because we're so concerned that we'll get paint on our sleeves, you know, as adults, our critical parent is in there being like, you can't smoosh the paint around with your hands. You're not a baby, but your nurturing parent is like, it's okay to have fun. And your child like part is like, fuck. Yeah. Like, let me have some fun sometimes and just be free in this non-judgmental environment. So I hope that you're able to sort of visualize through my words, those different parts of the personality mm-hmm. and think about what needs to be balanced out a little bit more and what parts we can maybe access or encourage a little bit more to come through. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the, a lot of the value in various compounds on this front is that it is a, a very brief and to some degree shocking opportunity to peel back some of the layers. And at the end of the day, it is, it does come down to how well whatever insight you gain can be integrated and how you can work. You can establish habits in your daily life to remind yourself of the things that you have seen and have had the opportunity to directly experience again in these states like anything else you can you can have uh, a breakthrough a revelation in the moment mm-hmm. but it does come down to how it's integrated and how you're able to establish habits that allow for constant reminders of okay even if it's just as simple as saying hey remember that time that i did this remember that time i felt this way that is possible mm-hmm. and sure I was in a very different state and it to some extent can feel a little artificial, but that the things that are going on in your mind, the things that you're experiencing are just as much a part of you as what you experience on a daily basis. And that that is an option and it's not an easy thing to obtain Mm -hmm. or state, but it is possible. And that Mm -hmm. what we consider ourselves on a daily basis isn't as rigid as it often can feel and that a little bit of a perspective change can do so much for us and what we're able to accomplish and do and free ourselves up to be. And I think that is one of the best tools out there for that. And of course, any conversation of this nature has to, should probably come with a disclaimer that these can be very dangerous and, uh, problematic compounds in their own ways and they're they're illegal where we are at least and we're in no way truly advocating the use of them to anyone without knowledge of one's individual circumstance Mm -hmm. or right i mean I, i will say as joyful and as wonderful and as helpful as psychedelics have been for helping me with my body image issues accessing more playfulness finding this wonderful way to express myself through art. It has also ripped off a few lids of painful past memories that I had truly locked away and not accessed for years, which has given me the opportunity to work through those things. But it will certainly make you find things about yourself, both good and challenging. So yes, let this be a warning and a disclaimer to 
make the best decisions for yourself with the most research possible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I made very clear in the intro, this should always just be a starting point for people. And on this front specifically, I'll say that things like set and setting and preparation and mm. integration and to be quite honest, a, a therapeutic framing are yeah. are so important to the the practical application of, of these compounds. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of exciting movement happening right now as far as potential legalization for medical use mm -hmm. in on, on a broad scale, but also specifically in Oregon right now. So there's there's a lot that hopefully will be coming out soon and more research will be available mm -hmm. and it'll be easier for people to take a dive on these experiences in a safe mm -hmm. and, and reasonable way that, that can be so, so valuable and applicable, mm -hmm. but applicable to all sorts of problems. So for anyone out there who, who hears what we've been saying and mm -hmm. thinks they might have interest in something of this nature, please do your research. Yeah, do the groundwork. And it's good to keep in mind that psychedelics basically will wipe out that critical parent part of your personality that we were talking about, which can be, again, very freeing because you're not criticizing your artwork. You're not hating your body or your face or whatever that is, but you're also not going to be as aware of safety, which is how you hear those more scary stories of people who like run out into traffic when they're tripping or jump out of a window to see if they can fly. Because you're really, if you've taken too much of a dose or you're not aware what your body and mind can handle, wiping out that critical parent part of your mind can be very dangerous. So again, set, setting, safety, people around you, proper groundwork, ideally a therapeutic environment to, to apply this, especially if you're just first getting started out in this or considering this research and all of that, definitely keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, all of that is is certainly very relevant. And I guess I'll conclude this topic with one final note that maybe the most important disclaimer on this front is just to also keep in mind your personal mental health, your stability, any sort of concerns you might have on that front or what peeling back some of those barriers might or some of those layers some of those barriers might do for you mm -hmm. and where you are in your life that you do have to to some extent do some work on the front end to even yeah. be prepared to handle what experiencing some of these compounds might be like mm -hmm. and also that a consideration of what your family history might look like from mm -hmm. a mental health perspective on anything on the psychotic end of the spectrum is certainly something worth mm -hmm. looking into, researching, being aware of. Also, if you're on medication that might not interact well. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of factors. So I think we've thoroughly scared anyone who is listening <laughs> into a, a healthy level mm -hmm. of caution after we just made these things sound pretty exciting. So I think we balanced well. It's all about balance. 
Absolutely. It's great and it's terrifying. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's risk that, reward. <laughs> that's pretty much life. Yep. But yeah, we are we're coming up at uh, a pretty good stopping point for us time-wise, but okay. I would like to finish on one final question. I'm curious if there's a fact, a statistic or a piece of research you wish if you could just snap your fingers, everyone would be aware of, everyone would have consumed it. Something that we can leave our audience with before we close. Yeah. So actually a few things come to mind, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, I guess, okay. We'll start with, with maybe a more lighthearted, but a very serious one, mm. which is the fact that no one in the history of time has ever died from blue balls. So <laughs> if anyone with testes pressures you into having sex, with the old blue balls excuse, they are lying molesters and they suck. So that's fact number know. one. <laughs> fact number two that I'll talk about is that I think it's extremely important that everyone has access to safe abortions. I think that that is a human right and that we all deserve comprehensive, comprehensive sex education as well as access to multiple kinds of contraceptives. Okay. The Mayo Clinic will also confirm that there are tons of benefits of laughter, like I was mentioning earlier. It will stimulate your organs, which sounds just delightful to me. <laughs> it will increase your mood. It will release tension and stress, and it can even improve your immune system through the organ stimulation. So 10 out of 10, laugh whenever you can, find humor in life, and try to make the most out of funny things. Um, I'm going to get a little bit more serious with this next statistic. Anorexia nervosa has the highest mortality rate of any mental disorder. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, the mortality rate is around 10%. People with this disorder die sometimes from starvation and metabolic collapse. However, most die by suicide, which is more common in women with anorexia than other mental disorders. Please do not ignore the signs if someone you know is restricting, visiting the bathroom often after eating, binging, or talking negatively in a concerning way about their eating habits or their body. They need support and this should not be ignored. And then I'll end with a more lighthearted fact, which is a purring cat can actually improve your health as well. Cat owners are less likely to have heart attacks or strokes and putting your head on or near a purring cat can help with headaches and migraines. So keep your pussy pleased. Wow. I mean, that was, that was quite the roller coaster, but <laughs> a lot of, a lot of important things in there that honestly, I think speak for themselves. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I think our audience will as well. I very much appreciate you coming on. You're very brave to share some of the things that you have. And I think there's a lot of value in there. And it's honestly been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I, I, I was nervous. Do I have anything of value to say? <laughs> Can I string together a sentence after 2020? Um, but the fact that you asked me to do this 
helps make me believe that I have something to contribute and something that people might want to listen to. And so I really appreciate you asking me to be a part of your podcasting journey. Yeah, of course. And I think it's it's a wonderful reminder what about the nature of this project itself that we all have value. And that is really important to remember, even though it sounds a little bit cheesy, but I think as many reminders as we can find to to value ourselves and our perspectives and just to share things that we otherwise might just keep to ourselves and to try to approach not just others, but also ourselves with as little judgment as we can. And just to keep talking, to continue to, to have conversations like this and to be willing to share, to be vulnerable, to expose ourselves to the very scary thing that is the world of, of criticism whenever we put anything out there and to be okay with that and just say, Hey, this is, this is me. This is who I am. This is what life is like for me. And that's difficult to understand, but I think more often than we realize there are others out there who share similar experiences and fears and anxieties and struggles and to know that and to recognize that others often walk a similar path and, and face similar hurdles to overcome, I think is, is incredibly value and, and cannot, cannot be overstated enough. Well, thank you, Brandon. I think what you're doing is great for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Well, thank you. <laughs> you're too kind, but I'll, I'll let everyone get out of here and thanks everyone for listening. 